0: The following is a discussion on scouting. Now, obviously, this is a huge topic that entire courses and careers are built around. So, it's not like we're going to cover this in 30 minutes, and the field continues to evolve. All that to say, this episode isn't meant to cover the whole field. Rather, Terry and I are just flowing and having a conversation, sampling from our own experiences, and also injecting promotion relegation into the mix. Speaking of ProRel and my co-host Terry, a few things. Terry will be joining me on episodes exclusively dedicated to all things promotion and relegation. It's about time someone jumps in and does the topic justice outside the Twitter sphere. And we're going to do it. Now, how we're going to do it will be the subject of a separate episode. But after helping make the first public pushes on the topic around 10 years ago, which has turned into somewhat of a movement it's about time we jump back in to provide a much-needed second impulse. As for my co-host, I've known Terry Ransbury for many years. He's been a member of the 343 coaching program since its founding in 2013. And we met when he flew into Southern California from North Carolina with his son to join us for a 343 player camp. I think that was around 2015. Well, a lot has happened since then. Terry's son moved to Europe and plays for a club there. And Terry has leveraged his entrepreneurial successes in the tech sector and formed what are now called the Accelerator Schools. This is a program that combines academics and soccer and provides a new path for ambitious players. In future episodes, we'll come up with a nice marketing message for this program. But for now, I'll just say go to acceleratorschool.com to find out more. Okay, we're about to get into this episode. But first, a message about what keeps the lights on around here. And that is the 343 Coaching Education Program. If you're a coach looking to graduate from where you are and into a methodology that's actually proven, yes, actually proven to work from U9 to U19, and at all levels, from beginners to the pinnacle of producing pros, this is where it's at. Now, lots of programs claim to be amazing, but here's the thing. The 343 Coaching Program is taught by someone who's actually done it and has an extensive video library demonstrating proof of work. We're talking about Brian Cliven, who has done unprecedented work here in the United States and helped transform the development landscape, taking players from the age of nine all the way through to graduating an unprecedented number of them to becoming professionals here and in Europe. The program immerses you into Brian's actual training activities and sessions with his actual teams and players. It is not artificially scripted or rehearsed like you would get in a typical course. No, no, no. You will witness the real training environment here, all professionally caught on tape and all carefully laid out so you receive a coherent methodology you can immediately and successfully start deploying with your team. You can get started now or jump aboard months or years later and then lament having wasted all that time not jumping on board today. You can find this solution at 343coaching.com. That's 343coaching.com.
1: I listened to your podcast about uh, dual national and um, had a comment on scouting. Uh, My father was an NFL scout for about 12 years with the Buffalo Bills and Chicago Bears. And I was exposed as a kid to really what that was all about and had a first bird's eye view of it and you are correct in your comment that uh, it's not the league's responsibility it's the teams the clubs the clubs had their own staff uh, there was a director of player personnel and then I think uh, there were maybe two or three personnel people in the office of the team and then there was a network of Scouts that lived remotely around the country now my we lived in Buffalo at the time so we were there but even when my father scouted for the Chicago Bears we, we didn't move to Chicago it was uh It's a field job, but I can tell you what the day was like. Um, I would say there were six maybe or more scouts like my father per team on top of who was internally at the club. So I would say there's at least six full-time guys, and he would look at film four days a week, all day long, all night long, and they score on a form every single play that a player they're interested makes. You make a half ass effort, that goes in there. And so you'll hear how uh, the term is grading out. You'll, you'll hear this after the college games and uh, you know some of the high school teams in Texas and Florida do this too. And junior high in, in Texas, it's, it's that serious, but they score every play. And then on, so on Thursdays he would fly to a game and he would meet the coaching staff on Friday to discuss the players. Uh, They would ask about their personalities, their work ethic. Uh, Sometimes they would do a little uh, physical test with them on on occasion, I was told. And then game on Saturday, and he went anywhere or everywhere there was a player. He went to the smallest high school-looking college. If there was rumor that there was a player worth looking at, uh, and they looked at tons of film, but they always went in person too, no rock unturned to find talent, no expense spared. I, I'm I'm sure there was a per diem limit, but, you know, it was the extent was was incredible uh, to what, you know, the NFL does to find players. And and it's a it's an art. You know, I don't uh, I don't know how they do it exactly, but they seem to have a pretty good luck at evaluating talent and making good picks. And then every once in a while he would come and tell me, hey, son, come on down here to the basement where I'm looking at film, check this guy out. And it was, I remember a couple guys in the long past, you know, Tony Dorsett, he said, this guy is going to be a star in the NFL. Just, uh, just, it's a special player. I watch film all week and every once in a while I catch a superstar, John Elway at the time, uh, Bruce Smith, the defensive lineman for the Bills Hall of Fame guys. But, uh, and then, and then guys that were, in obscure places and, and they got drafted and, you know, they, they make it. And then we all know the Brady story. He got kind of overlooked and drafted late. Uh, but that's that's kind of an exception. So the other thing I will tell you about, uh, I was on a trip to Scotland. Uh, I think it was a midweek game, U16. It was John Kerr's older son and uh, he's got a younger son. That's my son Calvin's agent. I think they were 13 or 14 at the time. We're an hour outside of Edinburgh and I don't know where we, we are. It's a I think it was a, like a Wednesday midweek game, and my son um, he gets in the game, and I, I'm in the bar. There's a bar, of course, at the <laughs> at the games in Scotland. and it's upstairs. And I'm actually getting scolded by the locals for tipping the bartender. <laughs> they're uh, they're telling me, "What are you doing? This is not how we do it here." And uh, and I I don't know if I gave her like whatever minimal denomination was. Anyways, so Cal- Calvin scored his first international goal. Second one came this year, uh, three years apart, so they don't come easy for defenders, but he was out on the wing and playing safe because he was in over his head in the game. Anyways, after the game, uh, out of nowhere comes a guy, puts his card out to coach, and he's a Liverpool scout. And I, I can't think of an analogy. Let's see, where where you live, drive two hours towards Nevada and some podunk town on a midweek game, and there's a scout there. He's a Liverpool scout. They had a player that uh, looked good to them and they ended up getting a week trip to Liverpool with uh, the kid and the coach. But an example of, I'd say an analogy to the NFL situation where, you know, there's on a Wednesday night in the middle of nowhere, they're they're not taking any chances there. There's a guy there and maybe he's a volunteer or maybe he gets paid if, if success happens. I don't know how they compensate, but just an example of the extent that, you know the highest level in, in American football and English football goes to, to find kids.
0: Okay. My my worldview, Terry, um, offered me these reactions while you were telling me this the stories of of the NFL. And and maybe you can chime in whether I'm off base here. I'm always curious as to how much better things would be if American football had promotion and relegation. You know, so so you so you gave the example of it seemed like a, a thorough job was being done at the Buffalo Bills with six full time scouts, you know, going out and meeting with players if there's something that piqued uh, your father's interest. And I'm curious as to if, again, this sport had promotion relegation in our country. One, would the Buffalo Bills have an even larger uh, scouting department? Because as good a job as they may have done, that's relative to the other franchises in the NFL again, because there's no risk of, you know, going down and you only have to, you know, be as good as the playoff line at that point to kind of say, okay, we did well. So that's always a curiosity in my mind. You know, how much better would it even be if it was an open ecosystem, perhaps not just in raw numbers of scouts that that the team would employ But perhaps, I mean, I don't know how good all those six scouts actually were. You know, they were doing the job. They were scoring every action of every play and and all those sorts of things. But how good were they actually? Are there better people doing that could have done it? I don't know, Terry. Again, I'm just spitballing here from my experience with with MLS and MLS scouts and U.S. soccer scouts and things like that.
1: Yeah, let me comment on a couple of things there. So uh, there is a tremendous glut of ex players that want to stay in the game and the competition for coaching jobs. Most of them take at least two years of volunteer assistant somewhere. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think there's, there's that factor independent of your question. And then I would say there's, there's pride in, you know, competing and winning that is independent of the league. But I would agree with you. There's no doubt if there was promotion relegation, There would be maybe a little more scrutiny to who got to be a scout. There's a lot more. I mean, look at the TV rights. They're 5x, I think, the EPL. The NFL TV rights are 5x the EPL rights. And there's a lot to protect if you're there. And of course, I think they would either make more more scouts or they would have, you'd probably be scored on your player identification performance. And if you weren't producing players that ultimately panned out to be roster players in the NFL, you probably get replaced a lot easier than, and maybe you were, uh, because, like you said, it, you make the playoffs. And again, I think there's pride in in wanting to compete at at that level. And no doubt, they're you know they're professionals and, and they want to win and they want to keep their job and they do get fired. But uh, it's hard to hard to not make the conclusion that Pro Rel would turn the heat up even more.
0: Yeah. So, and also on that note, if there was pro rel and there was a second division of American football being played and a third division of American football being played, all vying to go up, obviously, um, how much better would the scouting across the country be? Because now you're you're scaling up, you know, those those sorts of scouting efforts. Sure, uh, college football program scout, you know, sure, um, high school football program scout. I'm just curious if what was on the line was that much more, right? Um if 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 the scaling would improve that much more also. Um along hard, to,
1: with, hard to argue, wouldn't, right? Yeah,
0: along al- along with with accountability as well because yeah, if you're a college program, you want to win. There's a lot of school pride, there's a lot of institutional pride that the coaching staff, you know, makes a lot of money. They want to keep their jobs. I mean, there are pressures. I'm not saying there aren't any pressures. I'm just curious if that dial gets notched up a bit further in an open ecosystem versus a closed one. Because, you know, if if USC doesn't make the playoffs or doesn't go to a bowl game or whatever, okay, well, it kind of sucks. But, you know, I mean, whatever.
1: Well, you have to suck not to go to a bowl game now. There's 200 teams that go to bowl games or something ridiculous like that. And so uh, they've compensated in other ways. But the share of that revenue is not – it's not – Trivial, and there. If you had a chance, uh, I know my my son happened to go to two two good examples for college. One at Alabama, where there's a guy I heard that takes Nick Saban's car and reverses it, so he doesn't have to waste twenty seconds backing out of his parking spot. He can just drive forward. (laughs) Rumor has it, but I think that's true. And then he's he's going to finish his degree at a place called Appalachian State, who is I think promoted to. D one, I'm not sure, but they used to not be, and they would win the I don't know if they were D two or D three or whatever, but they would win that national championship and they certainly would have been promoted uh before and maybe they have now, but again, there's uh they they do good jobs, but if it was close to getting that next level and getting, you know, power conference T V revenue, that's that team or that university or that college would definitely put more money in on the off chance they would make it. And more money would mean more resources and, and better, it would translate to better quality. It's hard to argue against that.
0: Yeah. Theoretical then, as it is. <clears throat> and, and my last comment is, again, I'm not an expert in baseball or hockey or American football. Um, so that needs to be considered. But I don't know. My strong opinion is in a sport like the NFL, if we compare it to soccer, I don't know. Uh, when, you're, when you're looking at the scouting functionality and then trying to measure outcomes as a result of acquiring said player X or said player Y, it seems a lot more difficult to do so in soccer, being a far more team sport and not, and, and the objective metrics not being so, one, so much as one on one matchups, right? So in the NFL, you can go position by position, in my opinion, and kind of look at all those one-on-one actions and score them a lot easier and understand the influence of a player relative to the team a lot better than the impact of a soccer player um, and their impact on a team's ultimate performance or not. And, and being able to scout the soccer player seems to me a little bit more difficult So, for example, if you're going to scout a central midfielder or whatever, maybe it doesn't touch the ball all that often in a particular game that you watched, or two, or five, or 10. But I mean, that player's movement off the ball impacts the game, right? Or or that player's, um, if you can assess that player's real capacity of looking and scanning the field off the ball, right? That is a skill that doesn't show up in any objective uh, metric uh, or stat sheet. And those things impact the game and are a, an important assessment of the player, right? And so when I think of like the NFL, I think a lot more of these one-on-one sort of actions that, that aren't as subjective, right? When, when assessing the impact uh, of that player and the quality of that player. So that's always a, a thing that's swirling around in my head. Degree of difficulty, right? In baseball, <laughs> how many hits do you have, right? Uh, your earn uh, your ERA if you're a pitcher. I mean, there's all these things that are that capture um, to to a good first order how good you are. And in soccer, I think that's that's lacking. And then this leads into accountability of the team. And its scouting department and its scouting personnel because again, it's hard to measure whether your scouting was on point or not on point because you could always push the blame off on somebody else. Well, I got a great central midfielder. It's just everybody else that is he's surrounded by is trash. So that's why he doesn't have the performance metrics that he had when we recruited him. You know what I mean? You can you can have all all this, all these sorts of Opinions floating around, and so in conclusion, I'd like to think, and I'm I, obviously this is my position that in an open ecosystem with all the incentive structures that brings, you're forced to do as best you can, um, versus if it's closed. And that, that's all, man. I just think there's a di- distinction between the sports.
1: It is, and and I'm familiar with both now: uh, football and and football, uh, and. And the, the NFL is more of a quantitative evaluation sport. You know, receivers and running backs and, and quarterbacks take a lot of the uh, uh, easy stats that we grew up with as kids. And, and the analogies aren't there in, in soccer. And I think it's very, very difficult, I think, in uh, scouting, scouting soccer. Uh, I think in, in soccer, the opposing team can influence the performance of an individual uh, by either isolating or keeping the ball away, where in in uh, American football, unless you're talking about double teaming a, a receiver to take him kind of out of the game, it's it's very difficult to to isolate a player. But in in soccer, you can change your style of play and uh, keep the ball away from the other opponent's uh, player easily. And then you know then that influence of well, the player's taking uh, let's say for for example, you have to waste the guy. Not waste a guy, but spend a guy guarding Messi, right? And and Messi's influence now opens up more space for everybody else. But that's a nuanced thing. That's that's very uh, acquired intelligence. I think that makes doing that in soccer much more difficult. I mean, take a take an easy extreme basketball. You know the guys in the nba were lighting up high school with 50 points a game and and then you just assess the quality of the team they're playing against and and it's i think it's a much easier call in that just to make an easy easy example
0: yeah and and something that just came to mind before we move on to the other topic cuz i i'm i'm enjoying this discussion terry um and it is related to promotion relegation is if we compare the sports again soccer is a fluid sport versus the other sports, uh, basketball, American football, baseball, they are a compilation of discrete actions, yeah? Well said. Um, so, so that's very, very different. Um, I mean, if a, in physics, yeah, you have, you can study continuous systems, or in mathematics, right? You can study continuous systems, or there's a whole other field that looks into discrete systems, and if you look at both of those things, they require vastly different rules and have vastly different outcomes, and vastly you you, you need vastly different skill sets to do those two types of things. Um, and for the audience, if we ever reveal this or, or publish this, which I think it might be worthwhile. You know a continuous system if you're thinking of physics it's like a fluid right let's th- think about mm-hmm. a water wave right or how a, you know water sloshes around in a cup or whatever a river flows um where the tides go in and out that's a continuous system governed by the navier stokes equation yeah um discrete systems are hey wait the water is not comprised I mean, it's not just one substance. You don't look at it that way. You zoom in microscopically and you see that it's comprised of all these atoms, right? And molecules. And if you want to try to replicate the fluid flow of a wave by, you know, looking at the individual atoms, it's an intractable problem, right? Because you have to be able to map and follow the trajectory of every single individual atom there that is, is by the way, is governed by different rules. Um, and then you can't make that sort of transition. So sorry for the little tangent there, but I think it is applicable. And when we're talking about soccer being a fluid and then these other sports not being a fluid.
1: Agreed. So I would say the The NFL has taken it to an extreme where I think it's a little bit disappointing. I'll give you some examples. A lot of guys uh, play situationally. And you can see a guy, I play third down and six or longer. Otherwise, I don't play. And my job is to go in there and rush the passer. And I don't care if they hand off, I'm rushing the passer. Now, they, they don't do exactly that, but it's close. And so to me, the NFL game has evolved into a, a contest between only about three or four individuals in the, in the stadium, one, the quarterback who's making real time decisions and it's no longer, I mean, for amateur fans, it's no longer, Hey, receiver, you're going to do a post pattern. It's, that is, you know, a real game time decision. And there's very, very few of those now in, in the NFL. Uh, The center calls the line blocking as he sees the defense there's somebody on defense that's calling strategy. Usually it's a linebacker for the for the defense. And I'm oversimplifying just a little bit, but not, not a whole lot. And then everybody else does a pre-programmed thing. And then they stop and they go talk about it. And if the situation calls for third and six and you're a third and less than six player, you're out, your sub comes in, and they do very discreet things. And so... You know, maybe the receiver and the quarterback are are fluid and the defensive coordinator and the offensive coordinator are fluid, but everybody else is robotic now. And I think it's um, you know, it makes for expertise and and decision making, but it's not it's not a collective thing where in soccer you to make a, a play and transition from the back to the front, you've gotta have at least five or so players kind of on the same wavelength, adjusting in real time to the situation and the the formats never the same exactly, although it's you know it's similar and they get experience that, but it's and then something goes wrong and you're on defense all of a sudden, and the transition offense defense offense defense, you know is is uh, very different than obviously the the NFL game. So I think you're right on that. And I think it makes uh, it makes for a very different game. It makes for judging talent harder. Um, it makes for subtlety that that accumulates between. You know, five fluid players and their subtleties accumulating, and maybe they're all aligned, or one out of the fives out of sync, and the play you know breaks down. But it's not like we call uh, you know the play ends, the whistle blows, we go into the huddle, and we go okay, we're ch- calling another play. So it's it's very different. I think much more of a uh, again a fluid game, difficult to to measure. Uh, although they do keep score, but uh, there's a lot going on. That's that's very different.
0: Yeah. The analogy that came to mind is if you, wanted, if you want to compare soccer to American football in, in the scouting sense and in all those sorts of senses, maybe soccer can be converted to just a sequence of free kicks. Okay. One team will take a, a corner kick and then they'll have their set plays for a corner kick or a free kick or whatever the heck it happens to be. And then let's see, let's look at the outcome. And then the other team takes their turn. Now, the other team is going to have a free kick <laughs> or a corner kick and You know, they can strategize as much as they want. Who's going to be where? What movements are going to happen? Who's going to block who? Is it going to be in the air? First post, second post, you know, all those sorts of things. That would be the analogy, right? And it would be just a sequence of those things for 90 minutes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And then, okay, then the scouting becomes equivalent, in my opinion, because then you can see, all right, this guy's this tall. So he wins this many headers per corner kick and this many headers per per free kick and the deliver of the free kick has this many direct free kick goals or for you you know what i mean that yeah. would be the scouting equivalent but that's not soccer soccer is a fluid no
1: and let's hope it never goes that way
0: <laughs> they've I'm tried not sure to do things like that it's crazy
1: uh, i think they've got it pretty good although i think you know there's some benefits of having and i think your methodology 343 does a little bit of this I, I know on uh i've always been in a, a fan of, uh, choreographed throw-ins, like you should yeah. have five plays and yours are offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I've watched all the videos. So it's just what I do and how I got into 3-4-3. But I think there should be more of that. And maybe maybe there is and, and choreographed getting out of the back with pattern play where you know somebody's going to come from, you know, midfield towards the ball. Somebody's clearing space out. I think that does happen. But in the NFL, it's all like that. So Yeah. But, no, but I well, think there's there's beauty in it to, no, to have pre-programmed expectations.
0: Yeah, sorry to interrupt there. Uh, no, That's, 100%. Yep. I mean, that that is part of our core methodology is to have uh, these patterns of play in the build-out phase, you know, in the transition to midfield, and in the attacking phase. Um, and we used to call it, or we do call it, choreography to a certain extent. They are plays now does that mean that it's going to be done identically like that every time our team has a ball? Or if you're talking about uh, Marcelo Bielsa or Pep Guardiola, no, it's just, you're giving you're providing structure for your players to understand these patterns of play and then developing their own recognition without communicating in a huddle as to what should happen or what shouldn't happen. Um, right? So It is a lot of creative free improvisation when the actual game is happening, but at least they have these tools at their disposal to kind of um, without necessarily a huddle or verbal communication to be able to execute and execute successfully. And this is the root of what quote unquote tactics are all about in soccer. It's having this set of pattern play and choreography and everybody understanding their roles to a certain extent on the soccer field and being able to see the visual cues of what's happening with the opponent and your own team and in your local area, right? Your local area of the field and in the global area of the field and be able to execute patterns of play. Now, when you get to the final third, it's a heck of a lot more improvisation and a heck of a lot more Uh, who has the individual talent to obviously cite the obvious example, like a Messi or Di Maria or something like that, or Mbappe to really just individually break you down. There is no choreography. It's all improvisation, skill, talent that ultimately ends up in in the goal. But aside from that, um, no, you are right. I mean, that is how it's structured. It's just not, okay, let's execute this play, now stop. Execute the other play right. now. Stop. That's that's just not the case. All right, Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't like know if you, have, if you have more on on this.
1: Uh, I did, on another subject, but it's related, and I'd love to talk to you about this too. I've I've tried to make a study about speed of play mm. and why why speed of play is so much different at different levels. And and one thing is that choreography speeds play up because you know what's happening uh, and. Maybe it's three, four, five moves ahead of time, and they're just falling like dominoes. And if you don't have that choreography, all right, you might get that fifth domino, but it's not one goes to two, to three, to four, to five. It's one, oh, they recognize, okay, two goes and three, and it's slower. It's just one of the factors I, I've tried to make a, a burning issue in me. Why Why? How can the game be made faster? And that is a huge one, choreography. That's Again, a, it's not foot speed. It's not, this is orchestrated with the ensemble of players, and it's a beautiful thing.
0: That's brilliant. Brilliant observation. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I ever spoke to you about this. I, I, for years now, I've been trying to come up with some sort of measure or metric uh, to define the speed of play. And without going into too much detail, you know, to first order, yeah, it's the number of actions per second basically that occur. Um, That's a good definition. Of course, you have to take into account other things, and we would need the raw data of a match to to, to do properly. But, you know, obviously the number of actions per second will vastly be influenced by the spatial separation uh, of the players performing those actions. Yeah. So if you're in a small little grid, let's say at the top of the box and it's FC Barcelona prime FC Barcelona under Pep and with Iniesta, uh, Xavi, Messi, Dani Alves, you've seen many examples where they're in the attacking third, they're going into the attacking third and they're compact. They're only separated by maybe 10 yards or five yards even sometimes. And it's pop, 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 pop. And they do five passes in three seconds. That speed of play is outrageous. Now, if they were spatially separated by 20 yards, you know, then the speed of play is not going to be the same, but you have to do apples to apples comparisons. Um, But somebody, I don't know if that's been done. I know there's a whole analytics community being developed in football. It's still nascent uh, where they start exploring things like utilizing machine learning and, and those new tools. But I'd be super curious if anybody's come up with that sort of definition and actually implemented something.
1: Oh, uh, I've, I'm not that sophisticated, but I've compiled a list somewhere. I'll share it with you sometime about things that contribute to speed of play. And it's a long list. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, just, and I'll give you two quick examples. One, knowing where you're going before the the ball gets to you. So it's defining time zero is not when the ball gets to you. Time zero is when you make that decision after reading the situation. And that saves X amount of milliseconds of decision-making that happens before they get You get the ball. So you've got free time in the space-time continuum, (laughs) unusually, (laughs) and you get a break that you can cheat on it. And so that's one thing. And then, obviously, first touch, putting the ball to your advantage is is another one. I've got a whole list. I'm I'll send it to you sometime. uh, And I'm not the only one that had this curiosity. I I, uh, accumulated information from a bunch of sources. But the list is long of things that can speed up play independent of kicking the ball harder which is certainly on the list uh, yeah. and you know playing cleanly and anticipation choreography uh well we'll do this sometime it'll be yeah. it'll be, be fun
0: but it's good because we can tie it into our discussion that we've had now for 30 minutes on scouting because it, it, there's all these things that are related to speed of play and you want players capable of high speed of play at the higher levels and so how do you scout for a pay, player's capability for high speed of play well you have to have some sort of cognizance of all the things that you know you just described um, and so how do you see that you have to this is not an objective measure you have to be if you're on the sideline you're a scout and you're watching you have to be able to see these things you almost have to be able to be a mind reader right of the player and see if what he's thinking or she's thinking is he actually prepared does he already have his next move in mind right so you have to be paying very close attention and probably have have had to have played the game at a decent level right uh, and had I don't know have the game in your blood perhaps I don't know if these are requirements or not Terry I'm just I'm just stating them to be able to mind read uh, with the players' body language and posture say ah see. Alex already, Alex already knew what he was going to do before he got the ball. I right? think you're
1: onto something there. And this could be automated and scored. But mm. body position before the ball gets there gives you a big clue as to what the player is thinking. Now, uh, if you've listened to your brother a lot, you know that that's built in. So it's now a habit for his players, right, for when he developed those guys. And so maybe it's not so much uh, – mind reading at the time but disciplined of of getting in the position to open your body to the field and that saves you time right mm-hmm. it gives you more information but i think if you were to look at video of the game uh, it might be difficult in real time but i think you could analyze it, and it could be probably automated of scoring the speed of play is right body position is the touch in the right spot is the you know resulting two pass sequence the right thing based on the situation I don't know. It's an interesting thought that uh, could you turn it into numbers into a scouting system that would be predictive of of a successful player. My hunch is yes.
0: And that right there is a good note to end on. Thanks, Terry. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you're wondering how to help change the status quo, please consider giving us a five-star rating along with a comment on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you happen to be using especially if you want to help the promotion relegation movement in the United States, a movement, mind you, towards a truly open and inclusive ecosystem and away from a closed and exclusive one. You can absolutely make a positive impact, so don't let anyone convince you that you don't matter. Lastly, if you have any thoughts on this topic or others, you can always email me directly at Gary@343.com. At 343com 343 is spelled as you see it on the podcast logo. I always try to respond to every sincere connection, but until next time, keep building.